Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. Um, I'm glad to be with you all this morning. I'm Evan. I'm one of the pastors here at, at Christ Central and uh, grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to be in God's word this morning. Uh, if this is your first time with us, uh, we've been in a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. Uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, Daniel and Dr. Brent Strawn helped us to see uh, some of the framework by which we uh, should understand uh, Proverbs. Uh, the, the proverbial characters uh, that are consistently put before us uh, in this book are the wise and, by contrast, the fool. Uh, wisdom is often defined as uh, knowledge applied in a given situation. Um, the book of Proverbs gives scenario after scenario uh, of applying knowledge in various situations. And by contrast, uh, we see how the fool acts, which oftentimes leads to catastrophe. Uh, in chapter 1, uh, we, we learn how wisdom and foolishness are uh, framed and defined for God's people. Uh, verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom. Uh, they despise wisdom because, uh, God, uh, because they despise God who is wisdom. Uh, so, so you can be a, an educated fool, a wealthy fool, a religious fool, a moral fool. Uh, because wisdom is oriented around our reverence and awe towards the Lord before anything else. Uh, wisdom is not uh, prescribed for a life that is centered on self or others. So we read these collection of sayings uh, to, to learn how to live well, uh, a life submitted to the kingdom of God. This morning, uh, we will look at the wise use of the tongue. The tongue. Lord have mercy. <clears throat> uh, the, the Lord cares about how we speak, uh, which is why this was a convicting sermon uh, for me to write, um, because I often neglect the intrinsic power of words and their potential to heal or to harm, to bless or to curse. So I've gained some appreciation for the Lord's grace as I've dived into this, and I trust that the Lord will help us all see our need for his grace, and, and not just what we say, but even how we say it. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read Proverbs 18 uh, in a few verses in this chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord, starting in verse 6. Uh, a fool's mouth, uh, oh, first six. A fool's lips uh, walk into a fight, and his insta post invites a, a beating. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, sorry. It says, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Jump down to verse 20. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yields of his lips. 
verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we, uh, we come to you now after this moment of worshiping you through our songs, through our giving, through our confession, through our presence here. Lord, we, we worship you and uh, Lord, we, we need you to speak, to speak to us, to speak over us. Lord, it's a great privilege to know you. And it's hard to know how to be wise when foolishness seems to prevail in every direction. Lord, would you transform our hearts so that we would see transformation in our mouths. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, I used to think that forest fires were bad. I did. I remember seeing the, the devastation and destruction that was wrought in California last year uh, as roughly 2.6 million acres of land were consumed in flames. That was bad. Uh, I, I remember being a kid uh, and I would see commercials of Smokey the Bear. Y'all remember Smokey? Um, I remember commercials where there would be some wooded area caked with ash and smoke after a fire had decimated it and, or some scenario of some knucklehead being reckless with some matches or a gender reveal party. And the camera, <laughs> and the camera would, would, would cut to Smokey and he would say with his velvety deep voice, only you can prevent forest fires. I thought forest fires were bad. But then I saw a National Geographic article talking about what's called prescribed burns. Prescribed burns are fires that are intentionally started in the forest or wooded area. But they're not started recklessly. No, prescribed burns are controlled forest fires. They're set ablaze by fire managers. Imagine adding that to your resume. These forest fires are ignited in order to clear away dead leaves and tree limbs. These fires control the insect population and invasive plants that constrict. Uh, These fires even uh, bring rejuvenation. Uh, They return nutrients to the soil and the ashes of vegetation that could otherwise take years to decompose. And after this prescribed burn, the additional sunlight and open space in a forest can help young trees and other plants start to grow. I didn't realize that that forest fires can lead to death or they can lead to life, 
depending on how you use them. It depends. Uh, Similarly, when, when it comes to the tongue, the Bible lays out two paths. Our tongue can lead to death or it could lead to life, depending on how we use it. It depends. Do you know what's one of the greatest lies ever told to children? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Anybody ever heard that lie? Just a bold-faced lie. Uh, I I don't know if that lie is still circulating among children. Please stop it if you are using it. But I I, I think uh, you and I know that it's well-intentioned but very misguided, that saying. Uh, For some of us, we we actually would have rather just gotten hit by a stone or a stick than uh, face some of the verbal onslaughts that we've experienced in our lives. Some of us are, are still, after years, carrying the wounds of other people's words. Uh, Here's a saying that that I trust more, that I've heard from philosophers or poets over the years. Uh, Words create worlds. Words create worlds. That that feels more more accurate to me. It, it, It captures the essential power that the tongue possesses. We can see some of this really from Scripture. So we see the refrain in Genesis 1. And God said, let there be, and there was. And I believe that on a much smaller scale, being made in the image of God, it means that there is great power in our words. And the question for us to consider is, much like the power of fire, how are we using our words? Are we using them wisely or foolishly? Are we using our words towards death or towards life, to build up or to tear down? That's what I would like to consider together this morning. So what does it look like to use words for death? Scripture gives us some insight into this. Proverbs 18 talks about the fool who is ruined by his words. His soul is trapped and snared. Proverbs 12, 18 says, rash words are like sword thrusts. Proverbs 10, 14 says, the mouth of the fool brings ruin near. Proverbs 15, 4 says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but the perverseness in it breaks the spirit. We see various proverbs that make clear that the foolish use of the tongue brings death and destruction. Some of us are familiar with this. We've seen the destructive force of the tongue. Maybe it's through bullying. Hundreds of thousands of teens get bullied every day and it's commonly featured by words. In a room this size, several of you have been in or are in verbally abusive relationships. No, you don't, you don't carry the bruises on your skin. You, you carry it on your soul. And you don't feel safe. You walk on eggshells. 
You're constantly trying to manage the tension and avoid the explosions and manipulations, the proverbial sword thrusts. You think you're responsible for the other person's reckless use of their words, and you're not. Others of us, the destructive fire of the tongue is not so much external as it is internal. Your internal monologue is incredibly destructive. Some of us are workaholics because we're trying to outrun our internal monologue that tells us we are never enough. Some of us are suicidal because we're exhausted by the internal monologue that has convinced us that we are unlovable and unworthy. Some of us are harming ourselves and can't look in a mirror can't take a compliment, can't stop obsessing about our appearance because we're trying to turn down the volume of the internal monologue that keeps yelling at us that we are disgusting and ugly. Some of us hate being alone. We have to always be stimulated with music or Netflix or relationships or books. We need words constantly pouring in to numb us, to keep us from from us drowning in the words that remain restless within us. Jeremiah 17, 9 speaks to this. It says that the heart is deceitful. It lies. Above all things, it's desperately sick. The deception that leads us away from God and the true life that he has for us. And as Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your words are an indication of your heart. Our words create worlds. And in our hearts, our flesh, we do not create worlds of life. By the way, that's why we, I, our church is very pro-therapy to externalize these words that have created disruptive, destructive worlds. This is what the power of death can look like in the tongue. So what does it look like to use words towards life? Again, Scripture gives us helpful insight here. Proverbs 18.20 says that the fruit of the tongue... For the wise will bring satisfaction. Proverbs 12:18 tells us the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12:25 says, "Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad." Parenthetically, that's why I believe words of affirmation are good spiritual warfare. Uh, you are disrupting the destructive internal monologue in someone's heart when you affirm them. And whether or not that's your love language, affirmation should happen regularly. This brings healing. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. I so want this to be true of my words. And you should note here that none of these proverbs focus on intention. They focus on impact. Sometimes you can have the best intentions, but the impact of your words can still bring harm. 
The wise are discerning about impact as well as intention. Every night, our, our kids have a bedtime ritual. My, my daughter, she, she brushes her teeth, puts her pajamas on. We read a story. We pray. And the last thing I do before she lays down is as I pull her in, and I give her a big hug, I look her in the eyes, and I say, you are loved. You are safe. You are beautiful. And you are wise. And you know what she often says to me? Daddy, you're squishing me. <laughs> she has no idea what I'm trying to do. I want to speak blessing over her and not cursing. So that when this world inevitably comes and devalues her and tries to exploit her, and it's already happening when she's such a young age, she has a sweetness in her soul instead of bitterness and fear. That's the impact I pray for. Anne Ortland says this, that children are like wet cement. Whatever falls on them makes an impression. I believe very little of that changes when we're adults, frankly. There just might be more impact that we're navigating as we become hardened. And Lord knows my children are going to have a hefty therapy bill uh, as they navigate the effects of my faults and many, many sins against them. But my prayer is that my children will remember my words as a honeycomb rather than a sword thrust. And honestly, that's my prayer for all my relationships. Christ, have mercy that that would be true of God's people. So the, the next natural question is, how, how, do we, how do we use our words wisely, right? That the clear call from Proverbs is to use the power of the tongue towards life. And the temptation could be that we just need to simply make some tweaks here and there. Right? This could easily turn into some self-help advice, which is how many people use the Proverbs. But we need to be careful not to miss the gospel and the need for the Lord's grace for our tongues. Because we need more than self-help and catchy slogans to get our mouths under control. Amen, somebody. I wish somebody would be honest in here. <laughs> the New Testament makes very clear our need for God's grace. James 3 says that we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. That's a big statement. He goes on to say that no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison, full of blessing and cursing. It's a big deal statement. And then pair it with what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, that on the day of judgment, people will give account of every careless word that they speak and or tweet, for by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Do you feel the weight 
of your words? I mean, sheesh, what, what would happen to our Twitter fingers if we understood the gravity of our words? I mean, it's like flippantly tossing lit matches in a forest, the way we talk sometimes. And the Bible says this is foolish, and this is serious. Lord, if you should mark our sins, who could stand? So what's the solution? Our culture certainly does not have good insight. Uh, we, we live in a cultural moment where it seems people don't care about the gravity of their words, even in the church. We're being so foolish. All in the spirit of truth-telling. But Christ came. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says uh, that he is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3 says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He came as the word of God and lived how we should have lived. He spoke how we should have spoken. Jesus Christ, he, he met a man paralyzed in his whole body, but Jesus spoke, take up your bed and walk. Jesus, he, he met a man possessed by a demon, but he, he spoke, be silent and come out of him, and the demon was gone. Jesus saw a woman at a well shrouded in shame and self-loathing, and he spoke, if you drink of the water that I give, you will never thirst again. Jesus saw the injustice and corruption in the religious system, and he spoke, woe to you, hypocrites, you Pharisees, for you clean the outside of your cup and neglect the inside that is full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. He came, and he came to bring life. And when he walked up Calvary's mountain, they hung him high and they, they stretched him wide. The blood came streaming down. He secured our salvation when he uttered the words, it is finished. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died because he knows that even if you can change your words, you cannot change your heart. You need someone working on the inside of you. But the call is that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we're, we're saved. The record is canceled. Our hope is secured. Isn't that good news? I said, isn't that good news? Amen, somebody. The old folks used to say, you better watch your mouth. The best way to watch your mouth is to keep your eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. Our words come into submission and alignment with the incarnate word of God. That's the solution. Wise use of our tongue comes from inside-out transformation, not outside-in. My prayer is that God would enable us by his spirit to speak life and not death. Because words have power. And hard hearts cannot use that power well. 
Most of you know about the landmark moment of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which has placed legal access to abortion in the power of the states. And there have been a tidal wave of words on this. And the abundance of people's hearts are on display in a variety of ways. And it's raising the stress and the hurt and the tension of an already stressed, hurting, intense country. And it might be tempting to be swept to and fro by it. In Proverbs 31, 8, 9, it does, it does say, uh, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Our voice matters. And God cares about how we speak as much as he does what we speak. We are called to bless, not to curse. James 3 cautions us. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Words create worlds. And many people are living in a world of fear. Many people are living in a world of hatred. And God's people are living in a different world. God calls us and draws us in to a world of light and love that is comprised by an unshakable kingdom. So we bless because we want to see life, not death. So we speak life, not death. May God grant us wisdom to know how to make that clear. We need wisdom. Christ have mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we deceive ourselves. You said in your word in 1 John that if anyone believes that they are without sin, they deceive themselves and the truth is not in them. We fall short. And Lord, a case could be made that the clearest indication, the clearest expression of our sin is how we use our words. We're reckless. We're flippant. We're afraid. We're angry. We are tethered to things that are less than your goodness and your love. And at times, you can't, can't even tell the difference between us and the world by the way we speak. Christ, have mercy on us. We need your wisdom to know how to speak truth, how to speak life, and to know that ultimately when we are in Christ, 
we have access to all the treasures of wisdom. So would you humble us so we would see that this unshakable kingdom is led by an unshakable king and that frees us to live and love as we should. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.